everybody. Welcome to the Cinema Nerd Presents Made in the 90s. My name is Kyle Woods. I'm here with Dylan Shore. We're continuing. Nope, we are done with our Halloween festival. So we are on to the winter season to talk about grumpy old men. Dylan, are you a grumpy old man? Uh, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I am a lot of the times. I feel like I've been a grumpy old man since I was about 14. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> Before we get into what all that entails, you see anything else you want to talk about? Yes, actually, I've got some good ones. Right. Uh, I've got like four. Um, the first one is a Chinese neo-noir film from 2019 called The Wild Goose Lake. It is really good. Okay. Like, super solid. I'm writing that down right now. Do it. Just a good, bloody thriller of a time. All right. Fun time. Yep. And that then looks kind of neon and insane. I love that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's got crazy neon color. It's very, uh, like, Nicholas Winding Refn looking. Sure. Sure. Uh, and then I rewatched Barbershop 3, which is amazing. It's really good. Any of those movies. I think they're all really good. They all have a message. Like all they each uh they each have something to say. The first one being the mo- the best out of all of them. Sure. The second one is you know, it's entertaining, it's not the best, but the third one is made for the times. It is just so poignant, hmm. heartfelt, funny. I love it all. I think yeah. the third one's really good. Yeah, well, that's a, a good reason to get back to those films because they've, you know, I, I've only ever heard good things about most of them, you know. And yeah. Beauty Shop also, as the spinoff, has a pretty good reputation also, doesn't it? My girlfriend loves Beauty Shop. <laughs> I, I'm not the biggest fan of Beauty Shop, but I will say I like Kevin Bacon in Beauty Shop. He's pretty funny. <laughs> I'm a fan of Kevin Bacon. Um, we played on a recent trivia game. We played... Six Degrees of Two-Stepping with Kevin Bacon. So the game was... Uh, <laughs> six Degrees of Two-Stepping. <laughs> six Degrees of Two-Stepping with Kevin Bacon. Having uh, recently moved to the English countryside, we were, all the games were themed of like fish out of water, you know, so we did some stuff about like... Well, anyways, uh, the Six Degrees of Two-Stepping with Kevin Bacon was, I'm going to give you the Kevin Bacon movie and the co-star that's also in the dance movie and then you got to tell me what the dance movie is. Okay, can we try it real quick? Okay, yeah, let me pull one up and see what I got, actually. Uh, <laughs> I know the first one, you, it's one of those things where, like, obviously a lot of them rely on, like, JFK, or because every single person is in that movie. Uh-huh. And then that's kind of your entry point into the rest of it. Uh, okay. Let me see what else we had here. Um... Okay, Kevin Bacon was in Where the Truth Lies with Colin Firth, who starred alongside Channing Tatum in Kingsman, The Golden Circle, named the 2006 dance movie that launched Channing Tatum's career. Uh, step up. Nicely done, Dylan Shore. Maybe we can come back to some of those throughout the, the, uh, the show if you want. <laughs> what else? I like that game. That's a fun one. Yeah, it was, yeah, we had some fun with it. Um... Uh, let's see. And then the other ones that I rewatched. <clears throat> well, I rewatched one called Wild Rose. I saw it with my parents a while back. And then I found a cheap copy for two bucks on DVD. So I just bought it. Right on. That's and, the, about the singer? Yeah, the country singer from Glasgow. It was obviously very popular around these parts a few years ago. So everybody yeah. was talking about it. Uh, I love it. I think it's great. Yeah. Uh, yeah solid, solid flick. Let's see. Then I watched Happy Happy Joy Joy, the documentary on Ren and Stimpy. Sure. Uh, craziness. Like, I've always thought Ren and Stimpy, Ren and Stimpy was one of the most polarizing cartoons I've ever seen in my life. Like, it was hard to watch as a kid, even though I still loved it. Uh, I didn't enjoy it as a child, and I haven't revisited it as an adult, but it was one of those things that, you know, it, everybody loved it, and it was a thing you maybe weren't supposed to watch necessarily, or was very transgressive yeah. anyway. Yeah, it was super innovative for the time, and 
dark for being on a, the Nickelodeon network. But then, like, the creator just, man, he's not a good person. Fucking yeah. brought out a 16-year-old to live with him and, like, oh my. yeah, just groomed her her whole life. And she's an artist as well. Yeah, it's just terrible. That's dark. Yeah, it's very dark. Just like Ren and Stimpy. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> fair enough. Uh, <clears throat> and then rewatched Heavyweights. I love Heavyweights. Yeah, because we were talking about it a few episodes back, and I was yeah. like, damn, I should really rewatch that. And I'm sticking to this. That is ahead of its time. Disney was not making movies like Heavyweights. They, uh, Judd and Steve Brill, when they were writing the movie, they were, they didn't realize how dark they were making it. Okay. They thought they were kind of making like a meatballs type of movie. Okay. And then it, uh, th- like there's a part of the movie that got completely cut because Disney was not okay with it. But <laughs> yeah. apparently at the end, like Tony Perkis, like tries to kill these kids with a bow and arrow and starts hunting them. That uh, in the movie it that happened they filmed it they had to cut it from the movie so no, do you know the movie re- what Tony like the Ben Stiller role right yeah doesn't he start hunting those kids I have memories of yeah. him like going entirely insane oh no he goes insane but they had to cut out the bow and arrow bit that oh they okay so if you remember the scene where like the parents have come to pick their kids up and they're the kids have re-edited the video that the parents are going to just the to see to show like the hell that they've gone through and tony comes in all crazy haired because he's electrified and he's all cut up and he starts breaking glass and he starts walking on glass and like orgasming like he's fucking loving it (laughs) and so that scene he supposedly pulls out a bow and arrow, starts chasing the kids. He does some like weird flips and shit and knocks himself out. The way they cut it in the movie is that after like he does this to like one of the parents, I think. Dylan uh, is furiously chopping his crotch like Degeneration X right now. Yeah. Uh, He does, they cut it to where he just does the backflips and knocks himself out. All right. Yeah, just, I'm still saying, it's dark. It's funny. I love it. There's one Ben Stiller line that I rewound because, oh my God, it's so funny. Whoever wrote this, like mad props. The line is, he comes over the intercom and he goes, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. (laughs) (laughs) That feels like that might be Ben Stiller. (laughs) Right? Or Judd. It could be Judd. Yeah, <laughs> definitely a riff session, right? Um, I, my only last- thing is that I think Di- uh, Disney was doing more progressive stuff, especially in live action in the 90s, than it gets credit for. And Nickelodeon certainly like took that banner and ran with it and deserves uh-huh. a lot of the credit that it, it gets for it. <laughs> But some of those early Disney, not early, but like those mid-90s Disney movies, as is like a broad trend of this show, is like there are a lot of very woke writers, you know, at least progressive people because they're writers trying to create these things within the studio system. And sometimes some stuff gets through. And then sometimes there's also like, well, they're the only studio that really is willing to release this movie right now. I, just, uh, I can't remember, so I'll move past that one. But Disney's got, got a couple of weird ones on their roster, especially around that time. They do, they do. Um, and the, the cast is just stacked. Like, okay. there are so many people in heavyweights. It's crazy. Uh, and the last one I watched was Borat 2. Yeah, I also caught up with that one, would you think? Oh my god, I was dying the whole time. I thought it was hilarious. I thought its ending was just put like a stamp to the genius of it all and yeah. making uh I don't know. I just I loved it. I read I loved it a lot. <laughs> I'm not gonna uh, be able to source this or and not source, but give credit to the person that deserves this. But one of the critics that I follow referred to it as a postmortem, not an examination. And I, I thought that was really apt in the kind yeah. of tone of the movie and how we spend our time there. Um, I also, obviously, you know, Maria uh, Bakalova, is that her name? Yeah. Is so I, good. 
best actress, right? I mean, just an incredible performance. The fact that she can hold her own next to Sasha too is just on another level of good. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that like I honestly don't think that movie was making fun of Americans at all. I think it like yeah, it's poking fun at ways of beliefs that we have, but it's not like. I guess the ending, the chasing of the American is definitely making fun of America, but uh, Mm. I just, I think there's more heart to it than, uh, I don't know where I'm going to go with this, but I think there's more heart to the movie than just making fun of our current situation. Well, obviously. And I think, I think that heart does come from the father daughter relationship and sort of reminds I think also the way he treats the people. Like, even the two QAnon believers that wrote that racist song for him, like, to me, those dudes are secretly gay. They are 100% gay. They've just been hiding it their whole fucking life. Okay, that, that totally tracks for me. There's a moment with the QAnon guys where he, Borat leans in and hugs the older dude with the less facial hair. Yeah, and he goes, computer. right, but he doesn't, like, freak out, you know? And it's a real human moment, and that's where the movie really succeeds, is identifying the fact that we are all in this together, as radical as our beliefs may be, we're still going to end up in, in the same condition, you know? And that, I think that, yeah, it really succeeds there. <laughs> Good, I'm glad I got you on my page. <laughs> No, I, I don't disagree large. No, I I have maybe just some minor disagreements. Like, I think it's, I don't think it's nearly as funny as the first one. I think the, f- the first one is just like knocked down hilarious. But I don't think that's a fault of this movie. I think it's kind of a fault of this time. You know, it's just like, even as you're laughing at this, it's so, I, and it's a, a testament to his talent is that he can take these things that are like breaking everybody's heart right now and find some humor and give us some humor yeah and make us think and you know i'm not saying anything new here but i didn't think it was as uproariously funny as the first one was or that most people seem to believe it was i but i do think that where we end up with the running of the americans actually is the exact same note of satire you know because you know i'm living it buddy we are not popular around the world it, oh, it, I bet. You know, the whole thing is different now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Uh, but see Borat too. Anyone that's listening, just watch it. Oh, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> and to and this come this part of the conversation on a light note. The nation of Kazakhstan did decide decide to make glorious for benefit. What I'm saying is that they changed their National Tourism Board's slogan mm. to Kazakhstan. It's nice. It's nice. Or uh, no, very nice. Ah, oh, fuck. I fucked that up. <laughs> Kazakhstan. Very nice. Very nice. Um, yeah, and like the, the fact that Kazakhstan is going along with it now compared to back in the day when they were furious at him for making fun of their nation and making it seem like they are just a bunch of mud hut living losers that don't have a sense of actual living well i think all in on the joke now right so like that was the kind of conceit of the you know the the frat boys in the rv in the first borat are the target audience for the not the target audience for borat but they are the audience that grabbed a hold of it and misunderstood the thing, right? Yeah, yep. And this movie makes plainly clear, as does the last 10 years of history, that like, no, you guys did not get the joke. And in fact, the joke is on you. And so the glorious nation of Kazakhstan going, oh yeah, the joke's on you. Very nice. Very nice. That, that's yeah. just the march of history, buddy. That's where we're at. Mm-hmm. Especially them to go along with it because of the ending in the new one them <laughs> giving him i don't want to say it in case anyone hasn't watched it but that part to me was just genius that that really sold the whole movie for me yeah because it made it made it a movie it wasn't it wasn't just the shtick mockumentary of finding all these random people and 
having I, Sasha go crazy on them with his Borat character. I, I mean, I think that makes it a plot. I actually think it's the daughter that makes it the movie. You know, it, she deserves so much credit oh. as a character and a performer. That, that's, that's really where it is a movie because we're learning about him learning to care as care, we yeah. all need to learn to care, you know, mm -hmm. whatever. It, it's a very well done piece of music she is so funny there's a shot where she's getting her hair done and i don't know if she's winking at her herself multiple times or if it's a twitch but she like is like eyeballing herself in the mirror and goes and it's so weird and jarring. <laughs> i got some filmmaking questions but like yeah however we ended up upon that it's it's all really really good how about you? You watch anything? Yeah, actually, speaking of uh, subtle eye acting. <laughs> oh, no. This no, I promise this is subtle. going somewhere. I, uh, I've been working through, since we're still in October, all just all horror movies and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I've had the Resident Evil movies on in the background. Nice. And Mila Jovovich, in the second to last one, whatever one came out in 2012, I, you know, the titles, sorry, guys. I, yeah, I have no idea. I haven't watched any of them past the first one. The first one's maybe the worst one. Um, really? I really, I mean, yeah, I did, yeah. So let me make this one point. Is that really she, in one of the last movies, she just gives this little kind of like, not quite a wink, but you know, somebody that she started killing and then had to go kill a bunch of other dudes. And then he gets back up and is like, oh shit, you're going to kill me? And she just goes, you know, she just kind of shrugged, not a sh full shrug, it's just a little tiny eye acting that is like really great acting in this crazy action movie. So huh. now to talk about the rest of the Resident Evil movies, they fuck. Those movies are awesome, dude. Really? I, yeah, yeah. And they get better I as they go along. I of the Vegas one. Like the when Vegas I was one? working at a theater, I caught scenes of it and I was just like, yeah, these movies just aren't my bag. The Vegas one is the launching point to where the franchise goes. Because, yeah, I've heard that. And, and that's true of so many franchises, right? As we get to movie like three, and it's like, yeah. okay, let's take the wheels off this motherfucker and blast through the desert. Yeah. Fast yeah. five. Fucking <laughs> right. literally launches them into all crazy things. <laughs> right. Um, and so that the Vegas one has one foot in the door of... You know, the video game world, the kind of standard 2000 cinema fair, but it also <laughs> is starting to get really expressive. And I think that's the one where Paul W.S. Anderson comes back into the fray. I was going to ask you. So he did the first one and then comes back for Vegas. And then does all of them after that. Gotcha. And he is married to Mila Jovovich. And their daughter is a kind of a plot point in the final movie, the one from 2017. And it, it's very heartfelt and, you know, whatever. It works really, really well. But before we get to that point, there's like four to five movies that are almost like expressionistic paintings of action movies. They're so visually dense and like, not dense. Um, I've never heard anyone describe Paul W.S. Anderson's directing like this. They're... It's beautiful, man. I'm telling you, if you watch it as a purely visual experience, it's, I think, really breathtaking. And if you're willing to go along with the plot of like, okay, they're just here to fucking blow up monsters, but watch it happen in slow motion. I, and I think it understands arch, arch, archetypes in a way that a lot of bad sequels don't. It's like, yeah, we can introduce a new character as long as they're the bad guy, like Idris Elba in Hobbs and Shaw, where he drops in and goes, bad guy. This is not quite that, but it's like, no, I'm wearing the purple coat. I'm obviously the bad guy. Are we going to fucking <laughs> try and blow each other up? Let's do this. And yeah. again, just the, the visual expression of those fight scenes is, I don't think I've seen it anywhere else in cinema. It's very Matrix-y, but it's also, I mean, as Matrix is, very anime-inspired. So there will be single cells that are just like, you know, uh, overhead views of a fight scene which we've seen a lot, but like in wide spaces on neon lit underfloors, you know, like huh. underlit neon floors. And then obviously a lot of bullet time and I, I'm not doing this justice, but they are just like sumptuous to intake. Power. Yeah. Just to take in. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So I really have been having a lot of fun with the Resident Evil movies and would recommend them to anybody who's 
trying to just like watch some cool stuff, you know? I get uh, it. Yeah, yeah. On a more sort of <laughs> thematically connected note, I, uh, this is TV, but I got to talk about it, man. I finally caught up with The Haunting of Hill House. I have not watched all of it. And I like Mike Flanagan a lot. I've met him and I've talked to him about Dr. Sleep. He's a fucking great dude. He's so open. I literally approached him at my job and we stood in the hallway and talked for 15 minutes about Dr. Sleep. That's awesome. uh, but uh, I haven't got to finish it yet. So don't ruin anything for me. I'm only on, sad to say, episode two. Oh, buddy. Okay. Yeah, I mean, just start it over. When was that? Have you? Oh, I just started it. Like, oh, I yeah, just okay. started it last month. And I was like, I watched one episode while I was working a job because I had so much downtime. I literally sat there for an hour and 15 minutes and watched the first episode and then watched 15 minutes of the next episode and just haven't gone back in yet. Right on. I, I'm guilty of that with TV. I will definitely drop out of some TV's, stuff. But... Yeah, TV's hard for me to get through. It's, it's so good. It, this thing, if it was not, it, it's one of the best horror things I've ever seen. It's one of the best drama things I've ever seen. And if it was only one of those, it would be one of the best of either of those that I'd ever seen. But the way that all this comes together and his mastery of sort of, of the thematics and the visual space, I, it's, it's so, so good. I just, you know, it deserves its reputation. And Mike Flanagan deserves his. He, he real good at making Yeah, he's a, I really like him as a director. He did um, uh, the Origins, or uh, Ouija, Origins of Evil. It's oh, like, yeah. it's a prequel to the first one. It's really good. And fucking Elliot, uh, Elliot, <laughs> Henry Thomas yeah. from E.T., uh, he is in it as well. And uh it's just good he also made gerald's game yeah did you watch gerald's game yeah wow, what a great adaptation he does really good king adaptations he definitely does yeah no he he's like really, I, I get the sense that he has a fixation point in his youth similar to king you know where like so many of king's stories seem to flow from the fact that he saw a dead body as a young child right and that trauma and around what it did to his peer group. And there's this repeated iconography in Flanagan stuff of the, like a bowler hat or in Dr. Sleep, it's not a bowler, but it's the flat, you know, Rebecca Ferguson's kind of- Yeah, the top hat. Yeah. Um, and, and I just wonder what that image means to him because it's very present in his work and <laughs> really effective when he- Yeah, I don't, I didn't read the Dr. Sleep book so I don't know if that character wears a top hat in that book, but I heard him talk about it in the making of Dr. Sleep. And he, it sounded like it was almost just like an idea of his own. He was like, and for the top hat, I didn't, the, the original drawings, it was like a ridiculously tall top hat, but then we started working with it to scale to Rebecca Ferguson. And I wanted a beaver skin. Like he was just naming all these like just details that only he would know. I was like, oh, I wonder if that's his his idea. That it it's got to be because there's it, the bowler hat in. It, it'll come up later. It becomes important and it becomes important again. And it, you know, in the haunting of Hill House specifically. Yeah. So yeah, similar shared iconography. Anyway, um, I'm like gonna say one more totally different thing because uh, we did switch it up. I'm not only watching horror movies much to my disappointment mm -hmm. uh my wife had not seen the recent baywatch adaptation i haven't watched it it's not good but yeah, of course not. i like it <laughs> you know it's one of those movies that i just like the whole time i'm kind of like ugh, lazy bad but i won't yeah. turn it off i kind of want to watch it to the end and <laughs> i I think that's because, well, I, you know, The Rock is The Rock. He's a charisma machine, right? And yep. I actually, <laughs> my wife strongly disagrees with me. Let's see how you feel. Where do you land on Zac Efron? Don't really care for him. I mean, I've never seen him do any acting role that I thought was like, oh my God, you're so good. Future Oscar winner. Oh no. Yeah. 
No, I think so. Yeah, I do. I think he's a he's a very young man and is really early in his career. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I'm saying. Like, I just haven't seen him do any good. There's one he plays um uh a doctor in fuck what is it parkland i think he's like the young doctor that works on jfk when he comes into the parkland hospital Mm -hmm. and i was like it's such a small role but i was like hey you're doing something dramatic and it uh, it's just like the mcconaughey kind of career it's like Mm -hmm. get out of those shitty romantic comedies although mcconaughey has some good romantic comedies yeah and (laughs) like also uh, I don't think maybe could do some romantic comedies and like the Mark Ruffalo romantic comedies are terrible, but yeah. you know, do some romantic comedies because you can cut your teeth there a little bit. I guess I'm not trying to give this too much really. of a boyish look. He well, he's so fucking handsome. It's like Brad Pitt. You know what I mean? Where you just like you can't see him act because you're like, uh, take me to bed, please. What are you? But he's, Brad Pitt never had to fall into that role of the like romantic heartthrob well, uh, like romantic Pitt started comedy. acting as an adult and zach efron has been famous since he was fucking 12 yeah. you know yeah 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 that's true and so he's got a whole different thing like the leo model is actually what he needs to be doing if you're if we're yeah. trying to like or, push him in a vein or shia well yeah but sh- I, I mean yeah Poor there's shia. a new short film on Vim- vimeo uh, with Shia and Margaret Qualley. Um, she's in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the young hippie girl. Uh, and they do, uh, it's, uh, I don't know how to describe it, but like, it's such a, it's a music video, but it's such a beautiful story. And they go all out. They go full raw. They get naked. They are full bones. And it's this beautiful dance number between them. I really dug it. I mean, it sounds, I mean, it's reminding me of, I'm having it's called like love me. It's called like, love me like you hate me or something like that. My only experience with, uh, Shia, like, I, um, so behind my curtain is I worked on all of the Sia stuff. All of her. You movies. worked on that video? Mm-hmm. How did you, how have you never told me this? I, well, I'm not a bragger, man. What the fuck? I love that video. Yeah, it's great. And I mean, she, so working with so i worked on a number of her videos that whole cycle um through like maddie ziegler was basically Uh where what i got brought in for um and working with sia was the first time that i was like oh i'm in the presence of an artist and then shia labeouf is the same thing where you're like oh he okay this is an artist he's for better or worse he's an actual like blood on his shirt artist and so there's a lot that goes along with that in terms of you know what you need to do to actually there are many crafts within the creative experience that you can do without being an artist does that make sense to like really absolutely art is multiple forms you can do so much well and what i'm saying is like there's a difference between the soul of a creator and like the soul of an artist and i'm not trying to like put somebody up on a pedestal or you know but there is just something a little different about the way that they see the world and express themselves. And so there are movie stars that are movie stars and there are movie stars that are artists. And I would count Shia LaBeouf in that territory. So it's really exciting to watch him work. And he, but the things that you have to, I don't know, I'm gonna bounce out there cause I'm not qualified to comment on this anymore. Sidebar real quick, how'd you get the SIA jobs? Uh, what are you doing? Do you know the Directors Bureau? That's it's Roman Coppola's. Uh, oh, house. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, you know, PA'd on some stuff and then got in good with one of their directors, a guy called um, actually a, a Ryan Hope was his name. He's a very talented director. I'm not trying sure. to name that. Yeah, I, no, you can you can bleep his name out if you want to. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, so he and I kind of struck up a relationship because uh, we were both anthropologists by education. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, he invited me in and I made another relationship with some producers. And, you know, that's, those are a lot of the projects that I worked on in my, in my time in LA. Fucking it. Yeah. Right it, was, 
Yeah, it was really great. I was very, very fortunate. I got to work on some, you know, award-winning stuff and some really cool stuff and meet some fun, fun people. And yeah, um, very, very grateful for all of that. So anyways, I like Baywatch. Yeah, Baywatch. Let's uh, take this talk about art and being an artist. And let's start talking about a little artful film called Grumpy Old Men. Okay, but before we do, I'm going to ask you one more uh, two question. question. Yeah, I got one for you. Do you yeah. want the same category or you want to switch it up? You pick. <clears throat> All right, we'll just, we'll stay live because we promised the audience. I'm just going to, oh, you know what? I'm jumping back to the back one. This one I think you'll get, it was not popular for the trivia contestants. Okay. So this is question number 10 of a round of 10. Forgive the language. One last time, back to where the truth lies, which is already stretched to begin with, but I promise it's worth it. Again, with Maury Chicane, who is in Jacob Tutu Meets the Hooded Fang, which is a TV movie. I told you it's a stretch, but we're almost there. With uh -huh. Ice-T, uh -huh. right? Who Ice-T is credited simply as rapper, in this 1984 sequel to Breakin'. Oh, uh, Breakin' 2, Electric Boogaloo. Thank you, Dylan Shore. The yeah, next questions yeah. will be much easier than that. <laughs> I could definitely see how people are like, what? What the fuck is this? But you did say sequel to Breakin'. Breakin'. Just say Breakin' 2. <laughs> <laughs> Stick with for full titles, though, buddy, especially with uh, this one. Also, uh, you got to keep that. <laughs> one of the things that got me kicked out of Hollywood was I just kept pitching a third movie in that sequel called Breaking Three, Acoustic Banjolele. All right, pitch me the plot. What happens? <laughs> There's an EMP on Earth. No more electronic music. What are these breakers going to do? That's they're where the acoustic banjolele comes in. Uh -huh. I'm not going to give you too much more because... All right, man. I dig this. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So How insane would that be if that got greenlit and there was a 2021 Breaking 3 <laughs> sequel? <laughs> I'm suing. Oh, that's funny. So, right. Grumpy Old Men. I, let me start, because this is a movie that is a part of my childhood. And I realized watching these... Is it a part of your childhood? It is. Yes, yes. But you grew up in Minnesota, so... so I've been in Minneapolis, but still. Minnesota, Minnesota. That's pretty much it, yeah. And they're... I think the sort of city scenes, the urban stuff, where they're not, like, out on a frozen lake is shot over in St. Paul, is what it looks to me. But uh, that was my experience growing up. So this movie was, like, very, very important. It was shot on location. And I... The first thing I want to talk about, actually, is a thing called Snowbait, which was a rebate program that we had in Minnesota for a, most of the 90s. And that's what you, that's how you ended up with like, um, I mean, Grumpy Old Men and, uh, oh, Jesus Christ, what's the uh, Wild at Heart? Baboon Hunter, Christian Slater? Which one? Uh, the David Lynch movies? David Wild Lynch at Heart. Wild at Heart. Nicolas Cage and uh, Laura Dern? No, no. Um, this is a terrible story. Is it? I don't think it's that one. No, it's the one with Christian Slater and like, fucking, where's that? All right, guys, everybody wait while I look this up and find out. You got this. Figure it out. Okay. You guys are all fans of Christian Slater, so you'll be happy to know his entire filmography as I work down it. As I work down his filmography. Here's the problem is that I know this movie as Baboon Heart. Untamed Heart. Untamed okay. Heart. <laughs> Why is it called Baboon Heart? That, that was the Blue Harvest of, for some reason, they felt they needed to protect Untamed Heart. So all around Minneapolis were signs that said 
Baboon Heart. Oh, it was the the production title. It yeah. was their working title. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. That's funny. That's that's a great little thing to remember as a kid. That it was called Baboon Heart. That is hilarious. I love that. So that was the Google that let me filmed in Minneapolis. Yeah, and actually, there's the theater scenes are filmed right in front of the Riverview Theater, which is this. That's the theater. Yeah, theater that I, you're talking about. That's it. Yeah. So I, I, you know, when I was a very young child, this movie is '93 released, right? So you know, shot in '92. I would have been six or seven when they were doing principal photography, and I remember just sitting on the corner and like watching the movies come to town, and you know, so Jingle All the Way is another one that was what's that like ninety four, five, six, something like that. I think it where, came out in 96. Yeah, so when that came to town, it was like, oh, that's fucking Arnold Schwarzenegger right you, there. Was it, you saw them filming at the mall? The Mall where? of America in downtown Minneapolis as well. And Mighty Ducks is another one. The, the, all those yeah. movies are through Minneapolis. And, you know, I, I, I'm far, whatever. We can go down the list. But during the 90s, Minneapolis was a version like a hot of spot. yeah and it's because of these tax rebates that were specifically designed to support artists mm -hmm. and that's the model that louisiana went through and North that carolina is doing it now too Atlanta's Atlanta's doing it now. so yeah. uh support your artists guys and keep doing it because it was really sad for me when and so by the time i got into film school i was going to you know professional organization meetings to try and um, refund Snowbait so that we could make Hollywood movies here in Minnesota still. And I was like, oh, we can't do that anymore? I guess I'm going to Hollywood. Why, why don't they do it anymore? We had a, a mayor, or no, sorry, a mayor, a governor uh, called Tim Pawlenty, who was uh, trying to run for the presidency under the GOP. You know, so he was a, a precursor to everything that we're seeing now. So it was just slash the budget, privatize gotcha. everything. He came through and yeah. And that's how that crazy, was. man. They're bringing your state, your city, millions of dollars. Lots of revenue. And man. work. Like they're bringing your city work. Ah! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, we don't need to go down that road. Um, but I'm, I'm glad that it happened. And I'm glad that I had those experiences as a, as a child because it set me out on the, the path that I'm on. So, Absolutely. What do you got? What's your relationship with this movie? Uh, my relationship is it was one of those that like whenever I would go stay with my grandma and grandpa, they, it was one of the 30 VHS tapes that they had. They had both of them. Yeah. Like, they had these gone fishing seven like just a, a saving <laughs> private ryan like just a bunch of random assortment of vhs tapes uh but like as a kid i've always loved movies with old older people especially walter matthau i love walter matthau i think he is a national treasure he died too soon even though he was very old <laughs> Yeah, if he was still around acting, I'd keep watching him. Oh my god, are you kidding me? He's so good. He, I, and Jack Lemmon, not to like take away from Jack Lemmon, who is just as brilliant. But Mathau, there's something to his voice that really gets me. He looks like a lot of people in my extended family, like my, uh, like my grandma's brothers, like they that droopy kind of fat cheeks. Well, and there's something about his sort of like square face that yeah. was very mid-century and like every guy in America kind of had his vibe, but they let him be famous for some reason. I, I, he's got a unique face. It's hmm. like, there. I don't think I've ever seen anyone that looks like Walter Matthau. You could say like, oh yeah, Jack Lemmon could be like a, because Jack Lemmon was super like clean cut handsome man don't get me wrong walter Matthau was too but he has a more distinct face like you said a square face with like these jowls and a nose that <laughs> just stands out yeah and even as a, a young person you know when you go back to those early performances of his it's like he's had jowls since he was in his 30s right <laughs> definitely like the odd couple 
it's there. Yeah. <laughs> He's like the prototype of Wilford Brimley, where it's like that guy came out of the womb 47. Diabetes. <laughs> yeah, I I respond a little more to Jack Lemon and always have this viewing. I I did key into Mathau a lot more, and his pathos is really pretty. Like it, it draws you in, you know. He he never is doing too much, but you always end up looking at him, you know. Mm -hmm. He really has something special, and those guys obviously have something special. So it is like, it, I don't know. Is this like who who is this movie for? Who wanted this, and why did it happen? Like, is it just a? Are we trying to get the odd couple back together? Is yeah, it? I, I genuinely think that's what it was. Someone read this script at Warner Brothers and was like, I think this could be the next um, odd couple. Like, it, let's see if we can get Walter Matthau and Jack Lemmon together for this movie. I, well, so that's my thing is like, it feels like it came from a pitch, not a script. Ooh, I'm curious. I keep, keep talking. I'm going to look it up real quick. Well, and I don't, in, that's the kind of thing I would generally reject. But in this case, I'm like, can we have grumpiest old men and like grumpy old men after dark and like son of grumpy old man. And I just want, I could, I watched 10,000 of these movies and that kind of like Baywatch. Okay. Okay. Pump the brakes. But neither of these movies are great. Like, Oh no, they, uh, they are actually the most like simplistic of films you could watch. There's not a lot going on. The second one, I think, has a little more to the story just because of Sophia right? Loren coming in and like trying to open up her restaurante. <laughs> Bait <Which> shop. <laughs> also, why do these things have to be mutually exclusive? Guys, I'm from Minnesota. I've eaten a good meal in multiple bait shops. <laughs> hey, it happens. Uh, so, fun fact, the screenplay of Grumpy Old Men was written by Mark Stephen Johnson, a film student at Winona State University in Minnesota. Okay. All right. So, I think this just might have been, it's like, something you might have seen, like, <laughs> just yeah. seen some two old dudes arguing, and he's like, oh, that's a movie. Well, it is, I mean, it's very Minnesota. It, it gets almost all of that stuff right, just from, like, the like the interiors of the bar and the way that people shovel snow. And it, it's so comforting to me, which is, it makes me a little surprised that I hadn't seen this movie. It, like, so I rewatched these movies about a week ago. And before then I hadn't seen them in probably 15 years. And that made me sad because I should be watching them like literally every winter. <laughs> Yeah, even the second one has um, a little bit of Halloween in it. Totally. It's <laughs> like, okay, so I'm kind of jumping on the movies for being like not great, but what they are, where they are great is that they're really excellent four quadrant filmmaking. Because, and I, I want to say it's just because I was Minis from Minnesota as a child, but you responded to it as a child, but kids dug it. And yeah. Old people will watch it, and families will come together for this thing, you know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, I, I want to look up the director real quick. I want to okay. see what While else. you're looking that up, I just want to point out that I have a note that says, Manic Pixie Dream Granny. And, and Margaret? <laughs> yes, dude. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I would put that for Sophia Loren as well. They are both gorgeous. I mean, they're totally gorgeous, but like at least Sophia Loren is a different stereotype. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Margaret is doing Manic Pixie Dream Girl before that was even a term. And yep, she's in an entirely different bracket, but the way. She's such a badass zooming around on that fucking snowmobile. Hell <laughs> yeah, dude. Nah, she rules. I like her a lot. And the way that she never flinches from her herself and the, the honesty to, that she needs to portray, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. So this director, his name is Donald Petrie, I believe. He has made Mystic Pizza. Great movie. Okay. Uh, Opportunity Knocks. I don't know that one. Grumpy Old Men. Richie Rich. My <laughs> Favorite Martian. 
Okay. Yeah. Miss Congeniality. What? How to, yeah. How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. And then I, I, I've never actually seen that movie. I don't know why. I like romantic comedies, but that was just one that never appealed to me. It, uh, it's horrible, like, because of the... And Sarah con- never liked it either. So she's like, I don't want to watch this. I'm like, oh, then I'm never going to see this movie. <laughs> watch it for performances. Because it's McConaughey and Goldie Hawn. Uh, not Goldie Hawn, sorry. Goldie Hawn. Goldie <laughs> Uh, but then after How to Lose a Guy, it starts to fall off. Then he's got like Welcome to Mooseport and Just My Luck and My Life in Ruins. Oh, and- I don't hate My Life in Ruins. Is that the one with um, the woman Catherine from Heigl? No, no, no. It's um, oh, oh, yeah. It's Me I never saw this one. Yeah, it's the her not her follow up, but it's you know in the same vein. It and- was before Greek Wedding too, right? Might be, might be. I'm not it sure. It's exactly. around the same time, actually. Probably. But there's... It's, oh, no. It's before. It's before. It's not bad. You know, it's it's yeah. perfectly watchable and pretty charming. If you're into, like, a vacation movie, you know, if That's your favorite genre of movie is Amanda Seyfried goes on vacation, <laughs> this Mom will be okay for you. Okay. Um, so, yeah, Donald Petrie's definitely got a, a handful of movies that we that we love. Yeah, and well-respected. No, he can direct a movie. And I think maybe his biggest, uh, the greatest success of this movie is like Get Out of the Way because there's not a lot here except for kind of classic bits, you know, like jokes you've heard 10,000 times. Mm-hmm. And they all land because it's Walter Matthau and Jack Lemon and Anne Bancroft and then Sophia Loren. And on top of that, Burgess Meredith is in there talking dirty for 90 minutes. It's phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, when in the sequel, when we lose, you know, Jack Lemon's dad, I feel um, it, man. Do you feel it? Because he's, I wasn't expecting it because he's actually in the movie quite a bit and like, has some really funny, raunchy moments with Sevilla Loren's mom in the grocery store. Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, when I, when I was watching, I'm like, he dies. I remember, he dies. Fuck, he's gonna die. <laughs> yeah. But before he does, he utters the line, eh, there ain't no moral. I just yep. like that story. <laughs> I, man, and I wish oh, shit-faced Burgess Meredith was in every single movie. I would watch all of them forever. It's so good. Um, here's some trivia. This is the sixth pairing out of 10 movies of comic actors and great friends, Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau. What? So yeah. would seven be number two? And then they did the odd couple two in like 1998. That's right. But that's still yeah. only number eight. What's nine and 10? Um, let's see. I don't know. Oh, you know what? You know what would be easier to do? It's just this. Walter Matthau. <laughs> All right, well, you're looking that up. Um, I'll keep shouting out about Burgess Meredith. At one point, he says, colder than a witch's titty out there. And that's something that stayed with me for my entire childhood. We stayed <laughs> to each other until I left Minnesota. And actually, speaking of things from the sequel that were really, you know, as kids are, when I was a kid, Back to the Future 2 was definitely my favorite Back to the Future. And I think as a kid, it was mine too. Aliens is still my favorite Alien movie, but there's something about sequels, especially as a kid, where you're just like, nah, that's the, they're fucking more fun, you know? Definitely. And so the stuff from the sequel is the stuff that sticks with me from this one. We had a, I think in this one, it's like Catfish Sam or whatever. There was a car. Sorry, go ahead. Well, just that we fished a lot, you know, and I lived really close to the Mississippi River in Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. And so we would just go down there with our fishing gear and fish the river and the creeks that led up to it. And there was, we would say it was the same carp out in the middle of the Mississippi River where we would fish it would like, it was at this point where there was a lock system. So it's deep water, you know, like hundreds feet deep water at that Uh point. And there was this carp that would jump out of the water that from the shore to us in the middle of the lake or the middle of the river had to be, I don't know, about, a, I say 50 to 100 yards, you know, give or take. And he would jump out of the middle of the river and look 
like he was the size of a fucking kiddie pool. Like, even if you try and adjust for adult eyes, and he had to be a 15-pound carp, you know? It's just this huge fucking fish that... That's crazy that a bottom feeder, too, is, like, that big. And you can... Well, bottom feeders get big because they don't have many... I guess I haven't caught many big carps, but, like, I've definitely caught, like, you know, you know, a normal size carp, but, like, to see one that would be the size of a kiddie pool, I, my mind, I don't think, can even register it. I, I mean, I can't imagine that's the actual truth, just because I was a kid <laughs> it. But it, even still, like, carp get to, like, the size of your arm, you know? Totally. Let them go. Totally. Yes, yes, yeah. Um, so, I mean, it had to be a big fucking fish. Anyways, so we had this, like, legendary fish that we called Sam, and I, we must have got it from this movie. I can't imagine where else that came from. Hmm. Uh, all right, you ready for the list of movies they are in? Yeah. All right. Grumpy Old Men, The mm-hmm. Odd Couple, Odd Couple 2, Grumpier Old Men, Out to Sea. That oh. was another one my grandparents had, yeah. where they pose as dance instructors to hook up with women on this cruise ship. That's right. I love that one. <laughs> uh, and then this one I've never heard of. It's called The Grass Harp um yeah i've never heard of it they're both in jfk well that doesn't bring it back around yeah (laughs) okay (laughs) since we're here let's do another one i'm gonna find you a jfk question you ready okay two step in degrees what six degrees of two step in with kevin bacon okay kevin bacon appears in jfk as does tommy lee jones who is also in the mechanic colon resurrection with jessica alba Star of this 2003 dance story about Funny. a hip-hop. It also features an on-screen performance from Missy Oh, Elliott. Romeo. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> nice work. <laughs> I don't I mean, these uh, are all real easy. I don't, I don't have one that's going to stoop you. Really? <laughs> no, no. No, because I have two tiers. Um, and if you ever, if you want to join in, um, and maybe we, we get this thing going larger, because there's like a movie nerd version of this game. And then there's like general audience. We're trying to have fun tonight. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so all of these questions are real, kind of straight down the middle. Although I'll give you a, so the next game we played was uh, called Guess the Geezer. And we did the Hot Fuzz edition because Simon Pegg has to move to the English countryside. And yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a, it, it's quite an elderly population in this part of the country. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think the only big name in that population that I know is the chief of police and it's Jim Broadbent. Jim Broadbent. But you know who is the villain? Uh, from like, uh, I mean, they're all the fucking villain in Hot Fuzz. Okay, but like our, I mean, maybe the lead. The grocery store guy, uh, Timothy Dalton. Timothy Dalton, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then uh, Bill Nighy is also in uh, is also in that movie for like one second. Yeah, he he pops in like this. Yeah. All right, Nicholas. <laughs> so I did a bunch of questions where it's like, okay, uh, guess the geezer of those three men who was in this movie, right? So mm-hmm. here's one that you'll probably get to, but maybe uh, was not as popular with our our audience that night. In 2012, the Wachowskis delivered their sci-fi opera epic. Cloud Atlas. Atlas. So, Tom Tyker also directed it. Oh, did he really? Yeah, there's three directors. They split that movie into three sections. So Tom Tyker did all of the slave story stuff, um, uh, and like a couple of others. And then the Wachowskis took the future, the um, the present. Yeah. And I think they actually split some of the present. But yeah, there's three directors credited on that movie. The, uh, Tom Tyker, the dude that did Run, Lola, Run. Yeah, he's a really solid director. And I like the, the you know, I like the slave narrative. But like that, it's a fact. I actually like that story too, because you see Tom Hanks do something he's never done before. Right? Yeah. Crazy good. Yeah, really good. <laughs> So anyways, this, my point is, uh, the game that I gave them was actually like, okay, we bounce around, Timothy, Bra- so like, here, Flash Gordon, uh, blah, 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 Timothy Dalton, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the general audience game, but if we're playing like strict movie nerds, I will give you these same clues, but every answer is Jim Broadbent, because 
He's in 10,000 movies. <laughs> That's funny. All right, moving on. Moving on. Grumpy old men. Um, let's see. After filming this movie in Minnesota in freezing temperatures, Walter Matthau was hospitalized with double pneumonia. <laughs> double secret pneumonia? I guess. <laughs> what is double? Is that like both lungs? What the fuck does that yes, mean? I think that I think that is what it means. It's both oh lungs. Oh my god. Um, I'm glad he survived long enough to make overboard or whatever the fuck. Out to I'll, I'll, sorry. Um. Although his character is supposed to be 94 years old in the movie, Burgess Meredith was in fact 85 years old when this movie was filmed and is only 17 years older than Jack Lemmon, who portrays his son in the movie. Yeah. Oh, fun fact. They were not the original guys they wanted for this movie. Ooh. Ooh. Okay, so this was 93? I... Yeah, yeah. So the, imagine like 91, 92, they're trying to get it filmed. God. I mean, honestly, I just don't even know who the old guys would have been at that point. I'm, I'm I, would not, I would not have guessed this. Uh, they wanted Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. Oh, sure. Sure. But they were both very frail of health. And like uh, uh, Dean Martin died like a year or two later. Um, but it yeah. Would have been, it would been... For I don't think it would have had that uh, middle middle of nowhere feel with it. No, that's exactly it. And even not middle of nowhere withstanding, even just Midwest. Like even in Midwest, a big yeah. city in the Midwest, Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis are the wrong casting for that. Yeah. yeah they seem like city boys. A little too slick, right? Yeah, absolutely. Even, even when they're bumbling and, you know, yeah, not uh, quite right. This Speaking of not quite right, I'll, I'll make this note here. The baker... Her accent is insane. It's so weird. It's so weird. I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, where the fuck are you from? You're no. not Minnesotan. <laughs> it's outrageous what she is doing. That is too funny. I didn't even write that down, but that was something when I was rewatching, I'm like, what a crazy voice this lady has. <laughs> Wild, man. Uh this film is included among the American Film Institute's 2000 list of 500 movies nominated for the 100, 100 funniest American movies. Really? Yeah, that's a little, that's odd because I don't like, it's definitely funny and it's more sweet. Like, I don't find myself. Uh, well, it's more like votes. Know, actually, there's a couple like, parts I, where I do laugh really hard. I definitely laugh really hard, but like if you're going to not, one of the Walter Matthau, Jack Lemmon comedies is going on this list because of what they represent for cinema. They're well, if anything, it needs to be odd couple. It's, and it is yeah. like, there's so. I'm I, sure, I think that's already on the AFI list of yeah. like your best movies. Cause there's no way they chose grumpy old man over. <laughs> it's on the uh, hundred years, hundred laughs. List. yes gotcha so yeah anyways that that's i don't know i mean it's a funny movie i did tweet out that it might be in the sequel but when is it jack lemon trying to stab walter Ma one of them is trying to stab the other with a frozen fish uh-huh yeah and i was just on the fucking floor <laughs> um i mean the first one i love it we haven't even mentioned kevin pollack or daryl hannah i do want They're to get to that they, I like Kevin Pollock a lot. Um, I do too. I really don't like Daryl Hannah, and I want to circle back to that. But their their plot is, I mean, it, it feels like it's rounding out the movie, but the movie just doesn't care at all whether they get together or not. I'm just like, stop talking about your divorce and your kids. Get back to the oh, old pen. Dude, they don't get together in that first movie. No, they literally end one. with them looking at each other through a window. I and they're like, like huh. that though, because it's not about that them. Too. They just need to be there rounding. I don't know. I think it's a success. I think now that we're talking it through, I came from like, oh, this is a slight movie that I really like to, oh no, this is actually really good for me. <laughs> yeah. I think the second one, although they don't make them so happy, they're getting married, but then she all of a sudden has second, uh, second guesses. But a little plotty there. Yeah, no need for that. I think they should have 
maybe not had them get together at all. I like that story of like people that want to be together, but yeah. they're really not able to. Yeah, we could have introduced like a, a out of town job or a, you know, bad pitches like unplanned pregnancy or some shit like that, where they continue to not be able to be together and we, yeah. we can have that tension again. But, but then you don't get the whole wedding scenario at the end of the second one. And, and the polka dance. And the polka dance, yeah. But I, oh, also, man, man. I love in the second one when he finally, when Mathau finally hooks up with Sophia Loren <laughs> and it cuts to the next morning, Staying Alive is playing and he's dancing down his steps and he's got his trash and he just takes a shot into the trash can. <laughs> I love that shot. Beautiful. I, I, I want to get back to Daryl Hannah. Are you a fan? Um, I like movies she's in. I like Blade Runner. Uh, yeah, yeah, Blade Runner, Kill Bill, Kill Bill Two. Um, okay, so let me stop. She's actually really good in Kill Bill. Right. I'm not gonna lie. I think her Hell Driver is really good. I agree. I think it is until Kill Bill that she becomes an actor, and in Kill Bill, she's giving a performance that I enjoy and can respond to and understand, like an emotional presence and a internal life all of the things that you are looking for from an actor. It, mm -hmm. Until then, the only time she succeeds are in roles like Blade Runner or Splash, where she has to be non-human. Isn't she in Wall Street as well? And she's fucking awful in Wall Street. Is she, I haven't seen Wall Street in forever, so. She's terrible, man, because she can't emote. And she can't emote here. She's just like, I'm a fucking piece of wallpaper. I'm very attractive, but I don't know how to act. That's her what entire. Roxanne? What? What's that? Roxanne. The With Steve, Steve Martin. Martin? Yeah, I hate. I don't like that movie, but um. So I've seen it once. It was because like, of Daryl Hannah. Yeah, probably. But I also the the Cicero story. I just am like, I don't want to watch Deceit for a Love. That, you know, it's just like fuck this. I'm not interested. And so the fact that we're starting from a terrible place and then making our love interest a piece of wood is. I'm not in, you know, fuck that movie. Uh, off of this worked with this director again, though. Oh, yeah? And My Favorite Martian. Again, when she has to do... I don't remember her in My Favorite Martian. No, because all I can think of is Christopher Lloyd. Yeah, but, but she's not even the love interest, right? No, not... she's probably a fucking alien on a ship because she's not a human being. And to cast yeah. her in human roles is a mistake. And it's great. I mean, it takes maybe Tarantino to bring something out of her, or it takes 10 years of acting experience to arrive at a point of acting, you know? Yeah. But uh, I don't but think. Like, I'm looking here and, like, I see movies that I like, but it's not necessarily because she's in it. Right. But so Katie Holmes is in movies that I like. Um, yeah, that's fine. I, I want to pick a male version of this so that I'm not just like uh, Donald Faison is in movies that I like uh he's in a tv show that I love that he's phenomenal in I'm trying to I mean the he's, one movie that's just in my head for Donald Faison where I think he's very funny is Clueless because he's expertly cast as he is in Scrubs but then when you see him in like Battle for Los Angeles or any oh, other thing where he has to convey emotion other than confidence Mm -hmm. There's nothing there. He's not an actor. He's a confident man. Remember the and Titans? Good on him. Although he's not, he's barely in Remember the Titans, but he's yeah. in it. <laughs> and that's another one where he, and he's maybe the softest spot in that movie, and all he needs to do is be confident. But when you put him against Ryan Gosling and, um, uh, 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 Jesus Christ, um, the dude from The Wire who's got the word wood in his name, um, Oh, I'm so sorry. He's one of my favorite actors, man. I really like uh, him a lot. And like, uh, we just talked about know. the Come on, Kelpland Tales. Keep trying for it. Keep going. Dude, all I can see, now I'm just seeing him in the wedding suit against Amy Poehler and like his sad face when he realizes that John Lovitz is going to shoot him. It's, um, I, I don't have it, man. What's is it Wood? I don't think it's Wood. Oh, what's his name? What? Um, it's Avon Barksdale. Um, 
fucking Avon Barksdale. <laughs> yes, you're right. Wood Wood Harris. Wood Harris. Thank you. <laughs> yes, he's very good. He's also so good. Titan and Southland Tales. Yes, that's what I was just saying. So when you put Donald Faison up against real actors, I, I love you, Donald. I really do. Like I just watched all of Scrubs recently and enjoyed every single minute of it please keep doing more of those things. And that's where we're at with Daryl Hannah, where it's like, hey, play a robot, play an alien, stop playing human beings, because I, what the <laughs> fuck am I looking at here? <laughs> okay. All right. So that's the down note that I'm ending on. That's all I have for Grumpy Old Men. I yeah. love this movie, and I can't stand Daryl Hannah. Yeah. Um grumpier old men is pretty much the same movie we're just trying to find love for walter Matthau now yeah and he does and it's he does and it's sophia loren sophia fucking loren who's trying to open up a restaurante and who is sophia you know what since we're doing cast stuff who is sophia loren's grand or mother because she's also pretty great yeah 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 let's see what has this director done howard deutsch Oh, I just watched this last night. That's so weird. I rewatched The Replacements last night, and he directed The Replacements. Uh, the Replacements is all right. Yeah, I like that. Oh, yeah. dude, that's so random. Speaking of, uh, oh, man, I got a terrible joke about how I'm doing my best Keanu Reeves impression during this movie, because I'm feeling Minnesota. Hey. 